Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22, one in Christ. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Jesus Christ, you were once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you follow, excuse me, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Uh, last week, uh, I was with the La Habra Hills Presbyterian Church Men's Retreat, and it was a great time. Uh, turned out to be a, a really wild week. Um, this week, there was a lot of things in the news, and at, after the message, we will have a time for prayer um, uh, right before the prayers of the people that Elder Billy will be coming up. But we heard of the shooting of uh, the Taiwanese Presbyterian Church that meets in Geneva Press last Sunday. That is our presbytery. Uh, that is a church that we know the pastors, and we're actually hosting the presbytery of all the elders and pastors, the commissioners here. And so these things hit a little bit too close to home, and we have to acknowledge that we are at the mercy of God and His grace, and that each day that we live, uh, even the security of being able to worship here is, is a grace of God. Uh, that does not mean that we are um, just shutting our eyes to everything around us. And so today, uh, even after worship, I wanted to just gather up just anybody in Jenks Hall for just a brief moment to talk about church security and just anything you have in mind for that uh, as we want to just kind of unpack that. So that is a, not part of the message, but I wanted to share that with you and that we are uh, pastors and elder in session, we've been processing, thinking, and planning how do we best have a safe environment, how do we plan for provisionals of emergencies, and how do we continue to be in prayer for a world that is fractured. 
And so we turn our hopes to Jesus Christ, and fittingly so, uh, Ephesians is a great letter of encouragement to churches, the early church. And so let's turn our hearts to that. Would you join me in a word of prayer, and we'll dig into the word of God. Lord, we ask for your spirit to enlighten us, to illuminate your, your word, your living word. That God, that I may have written out these words, but these are your words from your heart, your truth. And God, let, they, let them be living words that are like double-edged sword that cuts deep into us. May you teach us, rebuke us, correct us, train us in righteousness through your word. And Holy Spirit, May we be open and fertile soils to receive it with gladness and joy that we would flourish and grow in you. These things we pray in your son's name. Amen. When we read Ephesians, um, here are my notes. I, these are the journals that we've been going through in life group. When we read Ephesians, it doesn't strike us as remarkable, but there's something remarkable going on in Ephesians chapter 2. Um, the Jews really despise Gentiles. And for Paul, who is a former Pharisee, to say to Ephesians, who were Gentile Christians, these words, what did he say to them? He said, he has made us one, so that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens. I mean, even in America today, we have a hard time saying that, right? Um, we want we, we have a xenophobia. We, we still have issues with people that don't look like us. And he says to them, you are members of the household of God. That is mind-blowing for a Jew who, to say that about Gentiles in Paul's time. And so a common prayer that the Jews actually prayed, this is a true prayer, was this. Blessed are you, eternal our God, who has not made me a Gentile. That was a common, popular prayer that, that Hebrew people called prayed to God that you did not make me a Gentile. So the question is, in Ephesians, how did Paul and the Gentiles get together and consider each other family? And the answer is, only through Jesus Christ. And that's not a popular idea, because we want to say peace uh, comes from just us getting together. Peace doesn't come from a religion. Religion caused all this, like, hectic mess and wars, and there were the crusades. Religion is farthest from the truth about finding peace. But Paul tells us, Scripture tells us, that there's only one true peace, and it has to come from Jesus Christ. And I'll share that as we go into a little bit more. Uh, I shared a little about it, but think about this. Only a few weeks ago, Russia invades, unprovoked, a sovereign nation of Ukraine. And so it could have been the NATO threat, it could have been all these things, but, you know, when I watched Ukraine, what struck out to me was that it looks just like Fullerton, it looks just like La Mirada, it looks just like Cyprus. And these people are leaving in droves, four or five million refugees now. And so in a few days ago, we had a delusional black man go into a hair salon in Dallas and shoot three Korean women because he was angry and fearful of Asians. Week, week before that, we had a white supremacist 18-year-old young man go into a grocery store in Buffalo and kill 10 shoppers, wounding two others. And then last Sunday, there was a Chinese national who despised the Taiwanese people so much 
that he drove from Las Vegas to come to a gathering of elderly Taiwanese Presbyterian church members as they're having lunch. He bolts the door, puts glue in the door locks, and then he shoots. And so if we believe, as the popular world likes to say, that humans, if we just try hard enough, and we, with all our sophistication, advancements in knowledge, and our good intentions, we could remedy hate, prejudice, and evil, we have another thing coming to us. If we really think, if we're just civilized enough, and we could just talk it out, and get hands together and sing kumbaya without God, we, we have another thing coming at us. So we have this massive problem, uh, beginning with sin, throughout all of civilization, that we can't get people groups to get along. Remember a few years, Rwanda massacre? Within a century, we had Korean genocide attempt, either to generalize genocide or imperialize. And so the world likes to think this way. Uh, do you remember the commercial 1980s? I like to teach the world. You guys are getting into it, right? Right? So, so, so Coca-Cola says, here's a thought. Let's give everyone a Coke. And this is what the marketer said. And if they could just drink Coke together and we sing in harmony, we'll have peace. And that was actually because the marketing executive, Bill Backer, was, was in an airport with two songwriters. Um, their names were McCann Erickson, uh, Roger Cook, and Billy Davis. And he was thinking, what's a great way to bring people together? And he saw people drinking Coke, and he wrote, I want to buy the world a Coke. And they said, hey, we got something here. And it became a huge campaign. And that was one of the best commercials. And so I don't want to be too cynical, I just, but the reality is that these commercials miss the mark on the solution to world peace. Coke may get people on the table, and, but I don't know if it's going to solve the problem of evil, prejudice, wickedness, and sin. But it does do something. That commercial, I want to highlight this. And don't you feel it when you see that commercial? We have this longing in us for harmony. We have this longing in us. Oh, goodness gracious, God, that's what we want to see in our world in my family, in my own heart, that no one knows the storms of the division and conflict. And when we see the news, God, gosh, that would be wonderful to live in a place where we could sing in perfect harmony. I think the commercial highlights and was successful, not because the Coke is the answer, but it empathized and connected with us. Boy, this is what we need. And so Coke can't bring people together. Amen. That's, that's a prayer sermon. Let's pray. No, but what can? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. If you have your notes, Bible. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. How does a dividing wall of hostility get broken down? This isn't a metaphor. It's literal through Christ's flesh. Paul goes on. He does this by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that Jesus, he might create in himself one new man and woman in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God. The answer, according to Paul, 
without any apologies is the only way you could find a division that is bridged and reconciliation and all people coming together is there has to be the solution of Jesus Christ. So peace is not a goal. If you read Paul's words, peace is a person. Jesus Christ himself is the peace. The only hope, and we, and I've been too bashful about this, but I'm 48. I don't want to be bashful anymore. The only hope for real peace in this world is Jesus Christ. Why? Well, let's go ask that. First, the only way people who are messy and broken and divided and covered with sin can get along is they need to become new. Isn't that true? So listen to this. Do you know anybody that spends more than they make? Just, 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 just nod if you do. Just raise your hand high if it's you. Just kidding. Don't do that. So, so what happens when you have a problem? Is that a behavior problem? Eh, it can be a be. I think it's a condition. So when you give someone who spends more than they make a million dollars, what happens? It's gone in like a year. It's not a behavior. It's a condition. You, you can't solve it by remedying the symptoms. You have to, they need a transformation. And so the apostle Paul is asking, how do you get sinners to get along? They need to be transformed. They need to become new creations. Gentiles, how did you and I find peace with one another? You were transformed. I was transformed. Jesus made these people into new men and women. So our version of peace in this world is this. Come on, let's be honest, right? This is our version of peace. How do you find peace when people kind of bum you out and they, they conflict against you, they're politically? How do, you, how do you find peace? You know how you find peace? We cut them off of our lives, and we hang out with people who agree with us, think like us, and will just support us. Is that peace? You know what that is? That's tribalism, and that brews animosity even more. Yes? This is why the country is divided. I just want to live in a country and a state where they're all red or blue. Is that peace? See, that's our way of doing peace. But what Paul says is you can't find peace like that. You need to become new. And so Ephesians, he says to the Ephesian church, Gentiles, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hand. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant. You had no hope. You had no God in this world. But how did you find it? How did you get here? Verse 13. But now. So after each phrase, I want you all to say out loud, but now. Ready? You were dead. You were hopeless. You were living only for this world and yourself. You had no peace. But now, what is Paul saying? But now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus. It wasn't you went to school and got educated. You stripped off your barbaric. No, it was in Christ Jesus. You who were far off have been brought near. By the blood of Christ. 
You were made new creations, Paul would write in Corinthians. You made, you must be made new. Um, I have a picture. Let me see. Hold on a second. Did I do this right? Oh. Oh, so actually, by the way, that's, I'll get back to that one. Okay, so do you guys know what this is? This is a rattan plant. And it, what do you see? Just, just call it whatever you see. First reaction. Just leaves, like palm. I see a monocot. I see, I learned, remember that from biology in sixth grade. And then from that, you get this. And this. And this. Where, come on. You know what these are? These are wicker baskets made from that plant. Now, here, here's a, how did that plant turn to this? These baskets were not made completely new from scratch. Something had to happen to the plant, stripped, corded, they call it over round, strand, dip it in water, make it pliable, and then they wove it together to make this, right? When Paul talks about you became a new man, a new woman in Christ, he uses the word kainos, which means you, in your essence and quality, something's changed and it's been made new. And because of that, God can bring about a new picture, a new structure out of you. He couldn't do that before when you were not in Christ. You were, you were this nasty plant. But now, the kainos person you are, God can do this. And at the end, he ends this whole part, Ephesians 2, 19, 22, with this. So you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. In other words, Paul's saying, you were outcast, you were at war with one another, but in Christ, you've been made new so that he builds you into, you're the new temple. Isn't that cool? Christians, where is the temple of God today? Raise your hand if you're baptized in Jesus Christ. You are the temple. He does that because he makes you new. This is the only way to everlasting peace, that Christ has to do something. Paul goes on. Second way he, we have peace is someone has to break this barrier down. And he's telling us Christ broke the ultimate barrier of sin by dying for us. So how does that come together? Ultimately, lack of peace in the biblical sense is this. You know, shalom. Can you say shalom to each other? It's such a great, beautiful word. Just tell each other shalom. It's, it's a beautiful farewell greeting that, that people do to one another. Shalom. It's like, may God's peace be with you. Shalom, the peace, only exists by the presence of God. Why do we not have peace? We don't have God. How does God come into our life? We need a mediator could break through that barrier and allow us to bridge that with God. Isaiah 59 verse 1 and 2 tells us, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Why is there a gap between us and God? Why do we not have shalom? Your iniquities, friends, my iniquities, our sin. 
And so how do you find peace? Go pray 50 hours? You could pray 100 years. You need somebody to break that barrier. And so now, here's a bumper sticker. <laughs> how many have you ever seen this? So this is, this is, my friend had this in seminary. No Jesus, no peace. So it means if you don't have Jesus, you can't have true, deep peace. But then you have no Jesus right here. No. Um, is that a homonym? Is that what it's called? Hannah, help me out here. <laughs> no Jesus, no peace. So if you know Christ, you, you will have peace. And so this reality is what? That the only way to know peace with God is to have Christ. They even make sweaters and shirts. You should wear one. And, and so how does Christ bring us peace? Isaiah 53, 5. Listen to this verse in this context. How do we have peace with God? But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Notice all the things happening to this Messiah figure. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. How do we get peace? Someone had to be crushed. Someone had to be pierced. It was Christ who took this transgression. And what Paul is saying here is, he purchases with his blood. He did this by the cross. And so, you know what's interesting? Hollywood knows this formula. Hollywood knows that someone sacrificing themselves to bring peace and life to others sells. Young people, Avengers, Endgame, how did it end? Spoiler alert. How did it end? Thanos just said, hey, I've been wrong. Let me turn back. I am so sorry, guys. No, the hero, the, the, the patriarch of the Avengers, Tony Stark Iron Man, what does he do? He snaps his finger with the strules, infinity stones, and by his death, he saves the world, right? And they cry. They end the movie with a funeral. And the story of the world's like, I heard in the theater when I watched it four times, people are like, <laughs> they're crying. Why does that sell? The idea that somebody can bring peace by giving their life up for others. Where does that come from? This is what our God does to bring peace. Peace is free, but it has a price. And thanks God, be to God, you and I never had to pay it. Jesus did. No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. And lastly, in a more practical, even more practical way, how do you find this peace? Paul ends this part brilliantly with this idea. Jesus Christ has to be your cornerstone. He ends with this uh, verse 19:20. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So there's two understandings of cornerstone. One is it's the cornerstone the, that the house, the foundation, all the weight uh, hinges on. And if you take it out, everything collapses. But that's not this one. This is it's the starting stone that every other stone will be based on. So if you get this stone wrong, the house is going to be cricket. You get this stone right, every stone relative to this stone will square the house. Now, 
check this out. You see these two screens in our, in our sanctuary? They're pretty level, right? They're, they're pretty, just humor me, just say yes. You guys, my goodness, you guys are like one millimeter off. We installed this, and I was like, we were like measuring how do you make it square, and then it dawned on us. You know how you make it perfectly symmetric? We use this line. We're like, hey, we just have to line it up to this line, and then this side and that side will be even. And guess what? Even a broken clock is right twice a, twice a day. That's us. And we got it right. <laughs> it kind of looks symmetric and square. That's the whole premise of the cornerstone. Your life, is it aligned with the one truth that can bring peace? So the question is, who is your cornerstone in your life? Because, listen to this, if my wife is aligned to Jesus Christ, and I am aligned to Jesus Christ in full submission, servant, lordship, and faith, what's the chance that my wife and I would be aligned together? Pretty great. In fact, in our premarital classes, what I teach young people is, you draw near to Christ, you draw near to Christ, you both have a high probability you will grow together. You drift off and find your own values and cornerstones of your own world, your ego, while he or she follows Christ. Guess what happens? You're going to just have a roommate. You don't have a marriage. Yes? And so in church and in the world, how do you find alignment? There is, I'm really almost hopeless that our country will become fully one politically unless something catastrophic happens. I'm just being real. But my hope is that there is one solution. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. There is a possibility on this side of heaven that we may be fellow servants following the one true king. And that's where peace comes in. His shalom reigns. And so this understanding is this. How do you find unity in a church and family? Don't compromise because every compromise has, well, you win that one. I'll get this one. I'll give you that one and I want this one. Is that, a real comp is that a real harmony? Here's harmony. I submit to you, you submit to me, as we both submit to Christ. And for the rest of my life, my rights, I forego for serve you, because Jesus is the only true one who I would live for. Radical things happen when we live like that. Why churches fight is not because we fight for the lordship of Jesus Christ. We fight for our rights, our own cornerstone. Well, I'm doing it for God. But no, you're not. You're doing it for yourself. Well, this is good for the church. No, no, that's your, like, I don't know if I see humility of Christ in that. And the reason why we're so divided is because we have so many idols that we just confessed a few minutes ago. Who is your cornerstone? How is your spiritual life, your finances, your living, your time, what cornerstone dictates everything else and then assess from there why you and your family may not be aligned why you and your friends and your 
children may not be alike. How does peace come in? We all have to bow to Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. Amen? That is literally the only way. Well, you're so religious, you know, you're, you're, that sounds like something a pastor would say. Have you found a solution in this world that works? The only time I find unity is this. Uh, Yankee Stadium, 50,000 people cheered together. For three hours, we're all unified. Does that last? They fight in the parking lot over who gets out of the parking lot first. <laughs> True peace inside you, outside you, around you, and with God only comes through the Lamb of God who shed his blood, tore his flesh, hung on the cross, and rose again for us. Let's pray. Lord, we want peace. I think that's every sinful person will say, deep inside, that's what they really, really want. And we all have a myriad of ways of finding our own version of it. Unfortunately, God, we fail. And so in this cycle of manufacturing our own peace in ourselves or maybe independence from our parents or just maybe the, a new marriage or a new group of friends or moving to a new town, we, we, wherever we go, there it is, that, that brokenness, that hostility. So we thank you. We see you, Jesus. We see you giving up yourself. We see that, God, you gave us a remedy. You gave us your only son, who is God, to bridge this. So, Jesus, I, I welcome you in because, boy, do I need harmony and peace in my heart. I pray for our people here and people who are wrestling with their own brokenness and mistakes and self-infliction, that you are their hope that we are the Ephesians who were separated from God and had no hope in this world. But now, Jesus Christ came. This is our prayer. That we don't win the world through domination. We win the world through submission and humility. Turning the other cheek, loving our enemies because Jesus Christ paved the way. And in you, Christ, we are strong. So God, restore unto us a steadfast, humble, peaceful heart. And we pray and we cling to this hope. It may not happen in our lifetime or before you come back, Jesus, but this is something we're going to strive for, that you are the only hope for peace. Come, Lord, bring us shalom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, before